Welcome to the System Speak podcast. If you would like to support our efforts at sharing our story, finding stigma about dissociative identity disorder, and educating the community and the world about trauma and dissociation, please go to our website at www.systemspeak.org where there's a button for donations and you can offer a one-time donation to support the podcast or become an ongoing subscriber. You can also support us on Patreon for early access to updates and what's unfolding for us. Simply search for Emma Sunshaw on Patreon. We appreciate the support, the positive feedback, and you sharing our podcast with others. We are also super excited to announce the release of our new online community, a safe place for listeners to connect about the podcast. It feels like any other social media platform where you can share, respond, join groups, and even attend events with us, including the new monthly meetups that start this month. Go to our webpage at www.systemspeak.org to join the community. We're excited to see you there. We are continuing the interview with Kirsten Stach. In the States here, we have had recently some, I'm trying to say it appropriately, some very intense political years recently, and also a renewed focus on historical trauma. For example, I live near Tulsa, which had its own like race massacre a hundred years ago. And so locally where I live, that has been a big topic and it has been on the news nationally here. And people are talking about this thing that happened a hundred years ago that was never taught in schools and covered up and pretended it didn't happen at all, but really impacted people. And those people are still alive even. And so our family has been studying this and talking about it and went to the museum that's nearby because we we have uh, biracial daughters and because we want to know and because we want to be supportive and learn from this. What do you think as someone who is there in Europe and grew up German and now living where you live now and in Europe, what what have you seen about historical trauma and how to learn from historical trauma? Yeah, look, you know, I I think, you know, the, uh, from my very limited knowledge, obvious, about the U.S., which I have from my colleagues there and when I travel for the conference and what I hear of course I read I was very and still very interested in the destiny and the fight and you know the life of Native Americans so when I was a child I read so many books I was very very passionate about it you don't have a comparable situation in, in in Germany or in Malta here or in Ireland. Anyway, um, 
each of the countries has its own very severe historical trauma. Yeah. And um, what I would observe is, yeah, as you said, you know, the uh, what happened in, you know, in your home place that it was brushed under the carpet. Of course, you have, I think, these situations everywhere where uh, the history is not completely processed. And when it is not completely processed, people are doomed to repeat it. It's the same like on an individual level. Um, I can, you know, probably talk a bit for myself about, let's say, the unfortunately daily life racism that you have in Germany, in Ireland, in Malta, similar uh, towards refugees. It's uh, what is good. It is not massive. It's probably more a little bit under, you know, it's an underbelly there. Um, there, you know, these events like what you described um, has, you know, has not happened. I mean, apart, obvious, from the big thing, this World War II. But this would be a total, probably, very complex sub subject on, you know, for itself. So I can relate a bit because my partner is from Iran, so he came as a refugee with his parents when he was a child. And um, things he told me, how he feels, he sometimes would experience not nice things. It's not always, it's not common, but it has happened. And um, yeah, I would say, coming back to World War II, that uh, it has not been fully processed. And I can say that from working with clients on a regular basis from Germany, from Russia, Armenia, France, English people. So basically the great-grandchildren yeah, these are usually young people from all different sites who were involved in World War II. And uh, not to forget Polish people, obvious, and how it affected in an intergenerational way all of them. Yeah. Uh, the good thing is we can talk very openly about it. And uh, they sometimes are quite, you know, in a in a funny way, quite sarcastic. And when I talk to my Russian clients about World War II and I'm German, so, but I think uh, we have a very good way to discuss these things, yeah. And I hope when we can address family history from the background, from World War II, that altogether it will help, you know, to process things a little bit better.
the land where I live, the government, the federal government of the United States just declared after a court case that the land where I live is still indigenous land, that they did a bad contract and that the contract was wrong. And it's the first time the government has said that. And it really has changed the um, feeling in the air with the people. There's a lot of indigenous people where I live and they have been, if you were stereotyping them, they will be um, very poor and not enough resources, but mostly get their health care through the Indian clinics and and um, that's that's what it's called the Indian clinic. Other, otherwise, I would not say Indian, but that's what they call it themselves, the Indian clinics, the Indian hospital, um, and and these different Native American tribes. Um, at the same time, have a lot of resources and make a lot of money from. Um, the casinos and, and other things where white people go and yeah. give them their money back, basically. <laughs> and, yeah. and these different things. But it was a fascinating thing to sort of see just the lifting that happened. I don't know how to describe it in English. The, the lifting, the, the uplifting, what is the word? The uplifting where um, just because they were acknowledged formally and just because... Yeah. Someone said out loud, oh, yeah, this was wrong what we did and we're sorry and you can have your land back, even though really, I mean, it's still right in the middle of the United States, literally in the middle. And so um, yeah. between that and this this race massacre from 1921 that they're talking about for the first time, even as a nation now and... um it it has been a fascinating thing to see just the the like fit you can see like talk about somatic therapy you can see literally the lifting of their heads a little bit and and a different feeling in the air just because it's been spoken out loud and i can't help but ponder this as someone who works with some with trauma and as someone uh, as a survivor myself you can't help but recognize these layers of the trauma that we work with individuals that's really family trauma and see how that plays out in communities and entire countries or nations. I would completely agree, you know. Um, um, therefore, you know, I it was really very very helpful subject you know from the conference we see uh, intergenerational historical cultural trauma um i was i was very impressed with you know the uh, presentation from the you know native people there from the community in labrador and the uh, native Indian people from Utah. Yeah, it was, it was really great to see that, you know, for me, when I was as a young child, always, you know, with my whole heart, you know, in, in these books, and they were not novels. I read a lot of historical books, yeah, about Native American people when I was small. And it was so good to see that, something is adding up 
in a good way, you know, that something gets done. So that's really nice to hear, you know. I think it's such a powerful thing. And even just what you said earlier about just being open and being able to talk about things openly, that there's so much healing that comes from that just in and saying, here's what happened. Let's talk about it or or having conversations normally instead of um, acting out that secrecy again or pretending that we've not been hurt or impacted even generations later. Yeah, this, um, you know, when I was a child, um, I was basically nobody talked. My grandmothers, my old aunties, um, obviously learned about uh, World War Two, World War One, World War Two in school, and um, but nobody talked about it. And um, uh, my grandmothers, I know the granddads had died in the war, uh, or short after the war, but it was never addressed, you know, and. The interesting thing is, if they ever said anything about it, they would say it to me at the age of 10. So, um, because somehow they felt safe to say things to me, even sometimes awful things, you know, which may not have been so child appropriate, but um, I at some stage came to the conclusion because my grandmothers could at least a tiny bit bring out a tiny bit yeah about all these things that had happened you know uh, to me i probably became a therapist yeah uh, later because somehow they felt safe despite i was a child so i think that was a good start you know for me to uh, grow up with all the things they told me about their life that they would never tell to anyone else, you know? There's something about cleaning a wound and being able to tolerate even the pain of that, that we never could tolerate in other settings. But when we are saying something out loud to bring healing to it, there's something that is painful, absolutely, but also something that is empowering in a way that increases that window yeah. of tolerance somehow to make the healing possible. Yeah, this, you know, um, the, the positive thing is that I found um, when I started working in 88 in uh, in Germany that there, you know, around this time, there was a shift from towards a positive at, uh, attitude towards psychotherapy. And, you know, what it could do for people. Yeah, I mean, um, it was incredible what I could see working in the clinic. But then eventually then, the shift took place, yeah? So before, I mean, when people can't talk and 
it's uh, you know societal trauma where nobody talks about uh, the shame of being german uh, you know this awful feeling that uh, obviously a lot of people then that age had and um, then not being able to get any kind of help or support for that yeah um, i guess you know there were probably people who took these things in the grave, you know, uh, they were never put out. So, uh, yes, I think it was, uh, it was a huge change. So in the, from the mid eighties, when, uh, psychotherapy became a serious subject. You said yeah. that example of the shame of being German in reference to like the war, I, I you mean the war. Yeah. So, so. Yeah. When we talk about that, and anyone who's been in school who has studied the war understands what you're referencing, mm. but at the same time, there's all that trauma that came after that has nothing to do with shame because yes. the I mean, even without those pieces, then we have your grandmothers who, regardless of the war layers, had the rest of their lives without their husbands and you you growing up without your grandfather or you what however your your parents and their experiences of growing up after that so so even the besides the layers of the war itself there's new traumas that happened after that that because of the first trauma almost yeah like yeah, yeah. doesn't get addressed and and i see that with the racial things with that's happening here and the indigenous people things and there's so many layers of that of yes this was a trauma or even being able to say this piece was wrong or this was a bad thing or this hurt a lot of people but also this also hurt over here and this piece counts too and there's so much hurt and so much of that those layers that we hold as shame in different ways um going back to tr trauma all kinds of trauma there is you know i think it's probably you know you could illustrate or i could try to illustrate probably really with uh, what happened to my my old nanny uh, i mean she was not related to me she took care of my sister and myself while, while my parents were working on their careers. And she was the most decent, lovely human being, despite all the suffering she had gone through with losing her husband in the war, having typhus, tuberculosis, uh, starving, being bombed out. So uh, she still believed in in the good in human yeah this was incredible how she held that together you know was really amazing and she was a very she wanted to become a medical doctor but the parents she came from a working class family they had no money to send her to a higher education so but she had so much common sense and she told me her husband was an aeroplane engineer and uh, may have heard about this uh, aeroplane factory Heinkel in Germany. Norm uh, you know, they obviously then built aeroplanes for the war. Normal, it was a civil uh, aeroplane thing. And um, 
she said because he was in this in the company they only uh, made him go into the war at the very end because he was important for the industry and she said you know he had um, he was a higher up person there he had um uh, he had the weapon which he owned and he was supposed to carry in the workplace and uh, she said she had the feeling he would not come back and she was thinking for a moment i could take his weapon and i could shoot him in the legs then he would be crippled he couldn't go to the war and he, i would not lose him but they would put me and my children in a concentration camp so this was the you know uh, she was very scared she didn't want to have anything to do with the nazis she was scared of this attitude of the real you know people who lived it who were totally convinced with it and uh, so you know she was between a rock and a hard place so she didn't do it the husband died in the last days of the war and she always said to me he never wanted to do any harm to anyone so he probably deserted and she's convinced they shot him in the back and uh, she never saw she never got the dead body or the thing they had this metal thing that they had to be uh, identified yeah so uh, yeah it was a, you know really really awful story what a choice what a lack of choice even that piece yeah. itself yeah. is its own trauma. Yeah, this was, you know, was extremely traumatizing. Uh, I cannot, you know, obvious put my feet into that. And this is probably a very good thing because, you know, I hadn't go to these things, but uh, it is it is very heartbreaking. Yeah. And to spend to lose your husband in your mid-30s and to live the rest of your life on your own uh, with your children. You have some friends or neighbors, but uh, you can't even express these things. So that is, um, you know, it's a very, how to say, uh, on an individual level, it's uh, it's pretty harsh. That's it just it impacts so many people in so many ways for so long. It was yeah. not just a one time yeah. thing in the past and it's over. These are real people's lives that last decades and decades and it all keeps playing out. Yeah, they you know, um I think her two children and the grandkids I'm very sure one day or another they will be still impacted by it, you know. And uh, this was, you know, was a very good, decent person, so uh, who wouldn't do anything to anyone. She was very, you know, how to say, uh, was very strong, and she would say what she thinks, but she would never do any harm. Yeah, she had. Uh, huge sense for justice and uh, you know what you can do and what you can't do uh, to people so and 
her her husband while he was working in the aeroplane factory. Uh, they had prisoners of war from Russia, and he saved the life of a Russian man there. There were two um, basically wardens who were, you know, really, really bad people, and they beat him up for whatever reason. And because he was in a higher position, he stepped in and he got those people uh, to be punished for what they did. And he saved the life of these men. And uh, the man had stomach cancer, so he died uh, when he was freed and could go back home to Russia. He died on the transport, which was very tragic. But he sent a painting to him. He was a painter. So he sent a painting that my aunt, my old nanny, still had on the wall, uh, which was a beautiful landscape in Russia. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, he wanted to do something good because, you know, this man tried to do, tried to save him as good as he could. And even the painting, just a painting on the wall, tells such a story. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, this was uh, very, when you think about, you know, how much, uh, yeah, how much the one painting would tell you. Yeah. I, I appreciate your um, vulnerability and your sharing. I, I had no idea this is where our conversation would go, but it's so powerful and I think it impacts so many people all over the world. No, it's, you know, I'm perfectly fine, you know, with uh, saying that because um, over my lifetime I could you know I was lucky to have you know good colleagues good you know therapists good supervisors and so on that you know I could process and talk to them about all of these things yeah because as I thought you know when you are a young child um, of the age of 10 or maximum 11 uh, it's a lot to take in, yeah, when somebody tells you all of these things, you are not even able to understand it completely, yeah? Mm. You know, the impact it had. It's it's so much and um, goes back even to that developmental trauma of caring for your caregivers. And in your case, it, it was not a, an abuse situation like some of the clients we work with, but that same no, thing of... No, no. To to yeah. to help my caregiver, and because I love them, and because I'm here, and these sacred moments, like it's it spans time. It's it's not just that one moment. Yeah, this was, you know, of course. Yeah, if I look at it from the outside um, as a professional, of course, you know, in this regard, I took care of them, but you know, they took care of me most of the time and they took great care of me you know so uh, that was I think that was perfectly okay even from my viewpoint today I would say you know this is still I'm fine with that.
I think that there's something important about it, though, not not in traumatizing children, but being honest about things that are hard. Um, our family has six children that have all been adopted from foster care. And so the trauma level in our home is already, the acuity is already very high because so many of us have been through so much. And I don't tell them details of my childhood or specifics about like gory details of what was awful when I was little or something. But there have been times where I said that when they were wrestling with a specific issue where I could disclose very generally of, I get this, I understand what you're saying because such and such happened to me very generally, not in detail, but this happened to me and it's so important that we talk about it and it's so important that you understand this was not your fault and that you don't have to carry this alone and modeling how to handle really hard things. And something like World War II is really a big thing to, to be able to talk about and yeah, know how to find words for. So really, it it also has that context of that beautiful modeling, not just in healing and, and, and not just in making them feel better in the moment, but literally for you as the child, you are the... Um, you know the the passing on from woman to woman to woman the, you you are the next generation of growing up know how to talk about these things know these words like really it's such a beautiful thing instilled in that context as well yeah i'm i'm you know i consider myself in a way lucky yeah, that i had them you know this was very important despite all of the you know the content of it but um yes it was probably you know therefore i'm i choose my job what i wanted to be and i'm still in the job and i'm still very very content with it so i think you know that that laid down you know the baseline for me so it is definitely looked at my own history um yeah it's a it's a very important thing you know i think that i'm where i am now you know and uh, uh, i had uh, in in ireland i'm i'm still friends with some families and i my best friends were a big family with five sons with uh, nine grandkids. And um, unfortunately, uh, the husband of the family died from cancer in 2017, uh, which was uh, very, very tragic. And uh, uh, he always said he was a hardworking man all his life. He had no, not a lot of formal education, but he read so many books and he educated himself. And he was, for instance, at the Merchant Navy in South Africa as a young man, the 17, trying to save a black man, yeah, uh, from getting beaten up in the, in the port from the stuff. And uh, finally being arrested for this and the captain had to free him from the prison in South Africa after a day. So he has a great, great sense of justice. And he always said to me, look, it's, um, it's not the gender, not the age, not the race. 
not what people believe. It's only the person. Yeah. What what counts? It doesn't matter where they come from. It's a person uh, who you know how this person acts in the world, um, how they are with other people. This is everything what counts. It doesn't matter. Anything else is not important. And uh, I think, you know, that's in a very simple way put in uh, what it really is, you know. So, yeah, I found that, um, yeah, very, how to say, very enlightening, you know, from somebody who has seen a lot of things as a, as a very hard-working person with, you know, not much money, but a huge heart, you know, so that was, you know, another really, really very positive example for me. I feel like that message that you shared with us that you got from your friend is sacred. You yeah. have touched my soul. Yeah. Thank you for sharing and passing on his words. And thank you for talking with us today. Yeah. Look, you know, my pleasure. It was, you know, I, yeah, um, I didn't know how the interview would go, but, you know, I think... Uh, it was even, you know, for me, it was a really nice experience. So that's fine, you know, so I enjoyed it as well. And uh, yeah, look, thank you for inviting me to that. Absolutely. I'm so delighted to get to know you better and to get to um, hear your story a bit. Is there anything that you wanted to share that we didn't get to? I want to respect your time as well. I think, you know, for now, I mean, here in my place, it's short after midnight, which is fine. It's my usual nighttime. I'm a late, a late night person. But at the moment, I couldn't think about something. Um, it would rather be a wish, you know, that... Uh, I, I only hope and wish and fingers crossed, yeah, that the whole situation that is, that currently is in the world, that it would not lead to another disaster. This would be probably my biggest wish, yeah. So otherwise, I'm a happy person here, you know, so... I enjoy my life and 30 degrees of heat and sunshine every day, so which is lovely. Thank you so much, truly, truly. And I look forward to getting to work alongside you with ISSTD and um, getting to know you more now that we're a bit acquainted. And I so appreciate you sharing yeah. with the podcast as well. Yeah, look, you know, then, you know, have a, yeah. Um, all the best for you and I guess we will talk soon again in some setting anyway yeah yes thank you so much truly I had no idea that's where our conversation would go but it was so beautiful and okay. and really really sacred thank you so much for sharing if you please let me know when it will be available because um 
yeah, some some of my clients with DID listen to your and look at your podcast anyway because I recommended it. And so they they want to listen to it, you know. Oh, that's so kind. So that, I didn't I know. know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I kind of recommend it sometimes when they, you know, want to um, get to know other people. Like they go on the website from, you know, an infinite mind. And I, I recommended your website and the podcast as well. So there are some people who, you know, who definitely may want to listen to it. So if I know when it is published, would be nice. I let them know then. Absolutely. It is scheduled out about a year in advance, actually. When when it gets basically published, then that I know and I can let them know then. Okay, I think I can get it in this fall. Um, la last year was a very, on the podcast, it was about a year and a half ago for me. But it was a very intense and difficult okay. year, mm -hmm. which we decided to go ahead and share about carefully. Um, and this summer is kind of reclaiming back to a, a safer place. <laughs> and so I need to let that play out. Okay. But... Yeah. Um, um, in the fall, I think I can get to in instead of waiting till next year because it's so beautiful. I don't think I can hold it in that long. <laughs> I like it's interesting to me. I I'm I'm sorry it's so late. Um, it's it's fascinating to me oh, about you sharing about studying Native Americans as you were a child, because I studied everything yeah. about the war in Germany. I studied families and and books and and so it's funny that that overlapped for each of us. That's just interesting to me. Yeah. But look, you know, when I know, um, uh, I sent you an email within the next days about some really. Uh, there are two really good books about the intergenerational trauma written from normal people yeah not textbooks but you know these are basically books it's one man, man is a is a young journalist who digged into his family history to get to the bottom of his depression and he got there successfully and he wrote a book about it so you know this is based what is good that it is addressed now yeah, now people can talk about it. That's amazing. So I now, look forward okay. to it. Yeah, yeah. I can I can send you the title of the book. I don't know if it was published in English. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, that's okay. Sure. I actually um I I have cochlear implants, so I cannot listen or speak as well because I'm still learning English for listening and speaking. But I can read some German. Okay. I studied and lived in Germany briefly. Okay. And so I can read and write yeah. a little bit. That is that is brilliant. That is cool. So I can recommend it to you anyway. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. I will let you go or I will keep going. I'm sorry. I will respect your yeah. time, but thank you so much. No, no, you are, don't, don't worry. You are perfectly fine. I go with, on my balcony now and watering all my plants because it's so hot every day. So, and that's a good thing to do 
before I go to bed, you know, because it's very calming. Oh, I love that. I love that. And then I will see you in meetings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Your support really helps us feel less alone while we sort through all of this and learn together. Maybe it will help you in some ways too. You can connect with us on Patreon and join us for free in our new online community by going to our website at www.systemspeak.org. If there's anything we've learned in the last four years of this podcast, it's that connection brings healing. We look forward to connecting with you.